Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable, be uplifting of your name. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are now partway through our sermon series on Luke chapter 15, and we have been slowing down to really explore what these three parables of Jesus might be saying to us of our Heavenly Father. And we've seen that Father God loves with a seeking and prodigal love, that we are so precious to God that He seeks us out like a lost coin or lost sheep. And then in the example of the Father and the lost Son, we see a God who is extravagantly patient with us and recklessly generous in His love. We have also asked whether it is possible to hold on to belief in such a good God in light of the brokenness in our world. And today I would like you to turn to your neighbor to get us started and for one minute try and come up with a working definition for compassion. How would you define compassion? If you're sitting on your own or if you see someone sitting on their own, please do try and involve them in the conversation. But for one minute, try and how would you define compassion? Over to you. Okay? There was, I did have one idea at one point that I might have some roving mics going around and see what you were up for. I thought that might be a step too far for you yet. So I'll give you till after summer. <laughs> And then we can see where, where we're at with that idea. Compassion has been defined by someone as suffering with someone in their pain and distress. It means to, to come alongside others in their suffering and to feel what they feel. It means far more than simply pity. It is suffering love, empathetic love. It involves the engagement of both the heart and the hand. The heart in sharing in another's pain. The hand in reaching out to help. Compassion, in short, is about participation, not detachment. It is much more about actions than words. And it can be hard sometimes to picture compassion, true compassion. But when we see it, it is so very powerful. During the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, British athlete Derek Redmond ran in the 400 metres semi-final, which was the fulfilment of a dream for him. But 100 meters into the race, he fell on the track, having torn a hamstring. We're about to watch a video of what happened, and look out for that moment of compassion. What was unknown to most folks at the time was that the man who helped Derek reach the finish line was his dad, Jim. His father, seeing his son's distress, came alongside him. Jim refused to let guards deter him, as you quite clearly saw. I think there's a bit off camera that you don't see earlier where he pushes one over, <laughs> because he is driven by compassion, by suffering love, to help his child finish that race. We read these words today. But while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him, and kissed him. The father was filled with compassion for his son and ran to him. 
This father had watched his precious child rebel and go off the rails, shaming the father and disappearing off into the sunset, never to return. And every day the father looked with expectation, hoping that one day it might be a different story. You can imagine almost whenever a merchant visited the village, the father would ask, have you seen him? Have you seen my son? Have you seen him in your travels in the far off country? And every time he'd just get that blank stare that said, no. And every day the father lived with the gossip and the rumor mongering that would go around the village. And every night probably the father stayed awake and no one ever saw the tears that streamed down his face as he thought about that day when the, fa- the son departed. And no one ever saw the heaving of his shoulders as he gave way to quiet grief. Yet every day he patiently waited. He kept up hope sitting on the flat roof of his house, looking towards the horizon. And then one day, he caught sight of a familiar outline. He rubbed his eyes, he blinked several times, he peered again. Could it be? Is it he? And at first the father feels shock, and then a momentary hesitation, and finally certainty sets in as he becomes aware, yes, it is, it's my precious child. And with gut-wrenching emotion filling his entire being, the father can't help it anymore, and he runs to his child, to his son. When we read this this one little verse, we almost skip over it, because we're like, well, of course you would. He's a parent, that's your child, you would run, wouldn't you? You just skip over it. But we need to remember that the cultural dynamics at play here, as a general rule, distinguished Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. There was a parable at the time, a man's manner of walking tells you what he is. Children might run, women might run, young men might run, but not the father of the family the dignified pillar of the community, not the owner of the great estate. He would not pick up his robes and bare his legs like some boy. It was shameful and dishonorable for any man over 30 to run because quite literally, you would be revealing your undergarments. They probably didn't have Calvin Klein back then, so. (laughs) No man who ever held honor highly enough would ever do that. But the father does. He runs to his son. His feet move in response to his heart, to the deep well of compassion in the bowels of his very being. His love for his child compels him to get over embarrassment and social conventions just so that he can reach his child. So what does Jesus hope to reveal in that verse of our heavenly father? Well, we're clearly meant to see the compassion of God for us, His people, for all of us in this world, in fact. Because a few weeks ago, we saw that we each are like the younger son. We each have told God that He is as good as dead to us, that we want no part of Him, even though we want all the good stuff in life. And we considered the agony that God would feel in response to such a rejection, that as a rejection, if we suffered it, we would just flare up in a temper tantrum, and that would be the end of the relationship. But Jesus is revealing something entirely else here. Father God feels such compassion towards us that He will pay a price to be reconciled to us. 
And that very price is summed up in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still far off rebels telling God to drop dead, he literally didn't. He laid down his life to make it possible for us to be forgiven. At the moment when we were furthest from God, the Father took the initiative. Even though we had sinned by rejecting him, the Father decided to act. The justice of God said that humanity should experience the effects of its rejection of God, eternal separation from God. But the love of God said that this could not be the end of the story. And so in the tension in the heart of God, the Father acted in history. He showed his great compassion for us by sending the one and only Son to die the death we deserved. Our Heavenly Father is a God who runs to rescue us. He truly is the God who saves. For at the cross, we see God's love coming, running towards us with literally outstretched arms diffusing the power of guilt and shame to any son or daughter who will return home. If you feel far from God, then remember the Father whom Jesus reveals in this parable, the Father who is waiting for you to come home. God's heart is not filled with anger or hatred towards you. He loves you with a suffering love with such compassion that he died in the person of his son to bring you home. He is for you and his arms are open wide. I asked a few weeks ago, friends, but just in case anyone was not here at that time, I'll ask it again. Do you need to come home to God? Have you wandered off? To be a Christian is to come home to God and to find your home permanently in God where God becomes the center of your life such that you build your life upon him and he shapes your choices, your values, your priorities. That's when you know you live for God. That's when you know you've come home. That's true repentance. And God is lovingly waiting for us, my friends. If you haven't returned to God, will you come home to him? And if you're unsure how to do that, I'm not going to make you st- ask you to stand up or do, raise a hand or anything today. We might come to that eventually, but not today. Today, if that's you, and if you're unsure how to begin that journey home, then please come speak with me. It'd be my greatest privilege to, to talk with you and to help you find your way home to God today, because you don't have to wait. It can happen today. But for those of us who have returned home, and I'm assuming that's a good number of you, then there is the call upon our lives to grow up in the family likeness and to take up the family business. We are to grow up in the likeness, the compassion of God, and we're to take up the reconciling work of God. In my four months here, I have seen how socially compassionate you are I have seen and felt it personally. I have seen you give of your time and of your money and of your love to folks in here and in the community who are in desperate need or who are experiencing real sadness or brokenness. 
So what I'm about to say is not to critique any of that at all, because in those areas of congregational life, you are reflecting the love of God. Be affirmed in that. But Jesus did not tell this parable to challenge us to be more loving in practical ways. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We feel quite comfortable with that one because it's practical. But Jesus was telling this story for a different reason. In this parable, the context is Jesus helping his listeners understand the Father's desire for us to be reconciled to him. So in this instance, to reflect the compassion of God is to take up the family business and help people come back into relationship with God, to come back home to God. That's what Jesus is about here. That's how the compassion of God is being displayed. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, will we get out of the stands and get alongside others to help them finish the race? Like Derek Redmond's father, will we get out of the comfort of the pew or of our homes or of our church groups And when we break with convention, expectation, or even political correctness so as to come alongside others in compassion with the good news of Jesus Christ, when we wave off embarrassment, excuses of age or ability, or the apathy within our hearts, and get out into our parish with the good news of these very parables. I realize that that's a big ask. Because normally it comes under the title evangelism and we feel uncomfortable with that. And let me tell you, I am not a natural evangelist. It is not my gift. Every time I stand up here and I ask you to come home to God, I don't do it very well and every fiber in my being cringes, literally. But I know I have to do it. Because I know God wants as many as possible to come home to him. So today I want to share with you, in these closing moments, two initiatives to help us grow and show the compassion of God in this particular way. The first is a prayer initiative that you will have seen in your service sheet. Please don't chuck it in the recycling or leave it home. It is called Thy Kingdom Come. It came out of the Church of England but has now become global, including so many denominations. And this week, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland is asking us as congregations, as members of the Church of Scotland, to get involved in this. And we're going to watch a brief video that explains pictorially and audibly what is here on the sheet. So that's the first initiative and from the 25th of May to the 3rd of June we're, we're calling folks to, to get involved in, in that prayer but you can start praying any time and you can obviously continue beyond that. And as it happens, Thy Kingdom Come arrives just in right, the right time for us on our weekend of invitation. Uh, the elders have uh, signed off on us having a weekend of invitation as part of a national initiative and we're holding ours on Sunday the 9th of June and the idea is for us to invite someone to church that weekend. And to help with this, we've produced a a simple leaflet, an invitation that you could give out, and it will come with your copy of the next Bright Lights magazine. So elders, if we could get those out sharp, that would be great. Uh, Because the elders signed off at the Kirk session on Tuesday that their hope is that we will not only encourage those who, who don't regularly come but are members here to come back, but also that those of us who do regularly come 
to take the invitation and use it to invite someone to come along on, on Sunday the 9th of June. That might be a neighbor, a family member, a colleague at work, but if we all invited one person, we would probably run out of room pretty quick. Um, so, so a big step, I realize it's scary. I find it just as scary as anyone. So that's why we're coupling it with prayer because we will never invite someone without deep compassion and conviction. And really that only comes about as the Holy Spirit works in us, as we talk with God in prayer about our fears, about our hopes, and about our need for help. So please consider joining us in prayer and using your invitation when it comes through the door from the elders to share the compassion of our Heavenly Father with those who are in your life and invite them not only to come to church, but to come home to God. So let us pray. Father, in our time within our society, people in our parish will not come home to church without being invited. will not come home to you without hearing of the good news. People will not think that the Christian faith is relevant and worthy of notice unless we first are passionate and convinced of your relevance for our lives. So Father, we need to go from here. We need to go out from here with boldness, with conviction, with genuine compassion for our neighbor, whether that be family member or friend. We need your help to be bold, to have the confidence to invite folks to come hear the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, may we not be people who sit in the pews, who stay in the stands or in the comfort of our homes or church groups, Help us with boldness and with power to break with convention, to break with expectation, what we think is comfortable, to break out of that and get over the embarrassment or the excuses we so often use or the apathy within our hearts and to get out of here and share your good news and be bold enough to invite people along. Because if, Lord, if it's not worthwhile to invite someone to here, we might as well just shut the doors even now. But, Lord, we thank you that it is, that we have a Saviour so who gave his life for us, to secure for us life in all its fullness, a life that can begin now and go on into eternity. And we give you praise and thanks that that's the good news that we have. And we ask for you to come and fill us afresh, even now. Fill us to, from head to toe with your spirit to give us boldness, to give us confidence. Those early disciples in Acts, Father, they were scared even after Jesus had been raised to life. They were hiding away. But when your spirit came, boldness came, and they were ready to share. They were ready to speak of you. And so we ask for your spirit. Your spirit is the one that we need. This is not something we can work up on our own. So come, come and meet with us. Come and enable us. As we pray to you and spend time with you, enable us, Lord, to go from here into this world and to share your good news and invite folks to come and be part of things here and hear the good news. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.